Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there, my name is Miles Jupp and I'm just interrupting you as you listen to whatever it is that you actually want to listen to to tell you about the second series of Middle Please Umpire. Middle Please Umpire is a podcast that I, Miles Jupp, if you weren't concentrating when I first introduced myself only moments ago, that's not a criticism, your thoughts are your own and you must focus them wheresoever you yourself choose, host with Mark Wood, the 95 mile an hour bowling, England playing, World Cup winning, Northumberland hailing cricket lunatic Mark Wood. It's another series of episodes of the two of us talking about cricket and indeed any other stuff that springs to mind both with each other and also with a succession of frankly illustrious guests. We lift the lid on Mark's life as an international sportsman, basically he spends a lot of time icing himself, and take you on a whistle-stop journey through the windmills of his mind. I, a mere fan, listen to Gog, giggle excitedly and try and draw comparisons with my own rather more mundane existence. All episodes of Middle Please Umpire are available right now from your favourite podcast providers. Hello and welcome to Footballistically Arsenal. I'm Boyd Hilton. He is uh, Josh Landy, sidekick, sidekick wonder, broadcasting as ever from his Soho House-based um, library room at home in um, North London. Hi, Josh. Boydo, great to be here, and we're and very excited about our guest today. Very I mean, we had Keir, we, we had yeah. Keir Starmer last yeah. week, yeah. and we are following that up with uh, someone far better. Who I'm going to let you introduce, Boyd. No pressure. Um, our guest today um, is a sportsman. Um, he's a Formula E driver. And yesterday, we're recording this on Monday, the um, 26th of April, yesterday, he um, podiumed, I'm going to use that word, podiumed, as a verb, um, shamelessly, uh, in, a, in a race in Valencia. I think podiumed for the first time, and it is Alex Lynn. Welcome. And Alex, by the way, Arsenal fan, most importantly of all, Alex Lynn. Hi, Alex. Hey guys, how you doing? Yeah, no, great, great to be here. And uh, yeah, I, I've never heard that word podium before, but I'll, uh, I'll take I just it. Thought, I'll give it a go. I thought yeah. I'd give it a go. At the next media interview you have to do, can you make sure you get in podiums as a reference yeah. to how last week went, if anyone asks yeah. you? I definitely have to. <laughs> I think it's an annoying Americanism, to be fair. Um, that's that's what it is. But um, so you were in Valencia yesterday. This is the life of a racing driving professional, isn't it? You were in Valencia yesterday, where you where you're on the podium, and now today you're in Barcelona. So you just basically travel the world, travel glamorous locations, driving your car and trying to win Formula E races. In a nutshell, yeah. I mean, it's it was it used to be a lot more glamorous before before COVID with this travel. To be honest, now it is. Um, a lot more stressful a lot more paperwork uh, but we're still doing it although um it's just a little bit more tedious to be honest um but yeah no so i was racing yesterday and on wednesday we're practicing uh circuit very close to um just outside barcelona so from that side we just had a two-hour drive up the coast and um yeah the team at the circuit right now whilst i shamelessly rest in the hotel and um, they're preparing the car and we get to drive on wednesday 
And in case people don't, sorry, Josh. Is, is it Monaco next? Is Monaco the next race? It is. It is. What yeah, a life! The next race. <laughs> what, what a great life this yeah. is. My God. And in case people don't know, Formula E is electric cars, isn't it? So it's the, it's the kind of green. It's the most green, as far as I'm aware, version of motor race driving that there is. Really, is that is that fair? Yeah, I think that's really fair. So, so the essence of Formula E is um, is they're electric single seaters. Uh, so, to be fair, I think they, you know, they look like Formula One cars, a little bit more futuristic. Um, and what we're trying to do is, in a nutshell, show off that electric vehicles are fun. They're sexy. The racing is exciting, you know, and while still promoting this sustainable message. Uh, but what it's managed to do is attract, well, the biggest um, motoring manufacturers in the world to compete, such as uh, Audi, Porsche, Mercedes, BMW, uh, Nissan. And I drive for the Mahindra team, which in itself is a is a huge automobile maker in uh, coming out of India. So from that side, everyone's very involved with promoting this message whilst, let's be fair, we're all here to win. Uh, so from that side, it's kind of cool how we can blend a nice positive message of sustainability whilst making it look cool and exciting. And that's, uh, and that's pretty much in a nutshell what it is. And also we, we usually only race in city centers. So we always take the race to the people, uh, you know, like on another racing championship, like formula one, you might have to drive out to Silverstone or, you know, drive to the circuit in Barcelona, for example, but in formula E, because it's green, these cities will shut down their streets for just one day. We always race only on one day and just come in and, uh, and put on a show. And so you're, when you're racing in London later this summer, you're racing in London, aren't you? So where will that yes. be in London then? That is in the Excel Centre. So right. what I believe is we've got a circuit that goes for the first time in the Excel Centre and then out. So in wow. the arena and then out into... I don't know, like uh, some nearby roads and make a bit of a cool, cool circuit out of it. Amazing. Now, the big question is, though, how do you keep in touch with the Arsenal while you are travelling around doing your racing? Via the Sky Sports app, usually. Um, and how else? I guess watching it when I can. Usually get to watch a little bit of TV um, on my laptop. And yeah. Try try and keep up as much as I can. Then when I get home, I I yeah, usually watch when it's on. I, I like the idea that you're in the middle of a race. There's ten laps to go, but there's only two minutes left, and Arsenal are like holding on for a really important victory, and that's really what's coming through on the radios to you during the. Could you could you ever imagine demanding that kind of information during? The <laughs> well, to be honest, what happened um, at the weekend is. Uh, so we had a, we raced on Saturday and Sunday in Valencia, and then Saturday we had uh, we had a bad result, and then uh, well on track, and then my my uh, trainer said to me, "See the Arsenal result as well." I said, "Yeah, mate, you're trying to make my day even worse." <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it was a uh, anyway. That's that's usually how it goes. So uh, so, but when you were when you're when you're back here, do you get to go to games? Do you go to games at all? And do do you know how much of a fan are you? What's how long? How how long has this been? We're going not on? judging. We're not judging. I mean, no, do, do, you know what, do you know what? Honestly, for two years I had a season ticket, right. and I used to go to every home game I could when I wasn't traveling racing. And then at a certain point, I'm not kidding you, it affected my mood so much when you're so invested. Like it really took over quite a lot. Like I yeah. I loved going, but. I'm a competitive guy, obviously. So, the, but then, like, it then becomes real personal when, when you know, you go and watch them lose, and you, or it hasn't gone right. And I thought, oh, no, this is too much. Like, this is actually affecting like a bit of my professional side because I might just then have a bad, you know, start off my Monday a bit bad. As I can't like, need to do something about this. Um, so I gave that up and then became a bit more of a couch fan. Uh, but for a period of time, it was it was pretty serious. Fair enough. So and then, so you you must have been watching this whole Super League um, Farago. Uh, mm. happen slightly from afar but have you been have you been monitoring that and you know the kind of the ludicrous of that whole situation I find it's quite hilarious really that you've got the you've got the balls at some point to even bring it up and then two days later it's over it's a bit uh, you know uh, already it was a bad idea but then it's a bit like you haven't even got the spine to just a bit try and carry it off for a bit longer. Like, do you know, it's almost a bit like a bit of a Mickey take in my opinion, but I don't, what do you guys think? I mean, 
I mean, I'm keen to know what what your opinion is. Oh, I mean, it's been it's been a humiliating um, farce, yeah. For I think for Arsenal and all and the other teams involved in the whole thing, yeah. Um, and it's still and it's still, I think the long term implications of it. Well, there's medium term implications, which are that they may have they may have ditched the whole thing, you know, because of because of fan response and media response, etc., and political response. But there's still punishments could happen, you know. FIFA, UEFA, Premier League could still punish the club. You know, in theory, points could be deducted, fines could be imposed. So it's a big, it's it's going to be an ongoing um, problem from that point of view. And I think it's also, more importantly, it's um, really had a, I mean, already the ownership of the club, the Cronkey family that owns the club, Stan Cronkey and his, and his sons mm. effectively, you know, mm. were, were, have been unpopular from the day one, let's face it. Indeed. Indeed. But now I think the that rift between the club and the fans is huge and the lack of trust and there were big demonstrations I don't know if you saw the big demonstrations before the game on Friday thousands of thousands of people there friends of mine were there um, and I just think yeah it's a huge problem for the club and now now there's news breaking all the time now there's a, this billionaire called Daniel Eck from Spotify Spotify founder yeah. yeah, I'm told people keep telling me football journalists that this is real and that he's really interested and he's got backing from Thierry Henry and Dennis Bergkamp and Patrick Vieira, and he's going to prepare a proper bid, you know, of however many billion you need to buy Arsenal these days. So it's all happening, isn't it, Josh? It's all absolutely happening. I mean, the idea that you run Spotify, you put a tweet out, and four days later this is a serious story, I don't know. I mean, you don't just decide to buy a football club worth something towards £2 billion on a Friday night while you're having a drink at home and put your name in the ring. I mean, it was a, the tweet literally said, I'm happy to throw my name in the ring. Now, forgive me, but I don't think that's how two billion pound businesses are, are born. So I just find it hard to believe. But, but I agree with you. There are people really who, you know, fairly reputable saying this is a, a genuine story. Uh, and maybe it's it's an opportune moment where to an owner who is largely absent, who knows they're hated, who, who, who seemingly doesn't really worry about that. Maybe the fact there were a few thousand fans and it got such coverage on Friday, maybe you just think you're hoping to go in at a moment where they think, do you know what? Do we need this? Can we sell above a market price and just be done with it? Just everything you know about the Cron case makes you think they're not selling. So um, I'd, I'd be surprised, but it would be a hell of a story. Hell of a story. I think the only reason they might, I don't know what you think, Alex, but for me, the only reason why they might be interested in selling, and, and I think no one who's ever sold a football club, well, this is an incredible generalisation, what I'm about to say, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of thinking is this true, but from memory, very rarely when a big, big football club like Arsenal is sold, is there much kind of, you know, is the, do the owners go, yeah, all right, yeah, we're going to sell soon, you know, it kind of happens pretty quickly, is my feeling, pretty suddenly, you know. Um, they just get off and too, too good to refuse. And in the case of the Cronkies, my feeling is they bought Arsenal. You know, Sam Cronkey owns loads and loads of franchises in America, sports teams. That's, you know, and, and Arsenal is just one of his portfolio of sports teams. And from what I hear and what I've read over the years about Sam Cronkey, the reason why he's acquires these teams and these franchises is to find a way of making money from them eventually. And the Arsenal, this is why I think he, Arsenal was so he was so keen on joining the Super League because he saw it as a way suddenly of making a lot of money out of Arsenal, which has not happened until now in his tenure. Because well, right now we're not doing well enough to get you know Champions League money, etc. So this was the way finally of him being able to. Now, if that's that's been completely that's completely imploded, what it, it feels like it, he might this might well be a time logically for him to consider selling, even though he may not publicly come out and say it now. I think um, also it's one thing I've learned whilst rising up through like the echelons of racing and then you make it to a professional level, you quickly work out that but even when you're involved in a team that's professional, the relationship between making money and success in professional sport doesn't really go hand in hand, actually. And, and, that, and then it's even worse when you're a fan of, of a team or a sport like this where you've got an owner that wants to make money and it, again it doesn't go hand in hand with success because guess what to, to be successful you have to keep investing uh, and therefore you're you're not making a profit at the bottom line and that's 
And that is what's so hard for any fan to sit and watch when you're like, but what if you did stop? Well, if you stopped making such a profit and invested again, um, but no, I think you're, you're right. It's, yeah, I think it, why, why would you want to sell when you're making so much money? And it, but I don't think these people are particularly compassionate to that side of it. Um, other than at some point he, he would feel that he's had enough of being shouted at and wants to, wants to just get out. Yeah. Well, fan pressure, Josh, fan pressure is it, fan pressure does work, doesn't it? I mean, the previous Liverpool um, administration before the current one that's now the, the John Henry's one is who judged them before now, and they they disastrously went went for the European Super League as well, and now have been humiliated. And now have had to grovelingly apologise. But their previous administration, as far as I can tell, was pretty much run out of the club by the fans. And then that you know, and and now this administration is unpopular again now. But that's particularly because the Super League. What were you going to say, Josh? Your meat. <laughs> I, I do think, sorry, I muted myself. A year on Zoom has not been enough to, to do this correctly. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, what, what I was going to say is that if ever there was a time where you were thinking about selling, could you combine the factor that you are as unpopular as you could ever be with perhaps an element of whatever you do now, there is nothing retrievable. Like, I, I mean, if you were Cronk here right now and you, you know, offered... Fifty thousand pounds to the Islington Dogs home. You feel like they tell you to take it back. I mean, it's got to that point, hasn't it? It's just what what can they do? So if you add marry that to the fact that we are probably for the first time in twenty five years, unless we win the Europa League, we not only won't have Champions League football, we won't have Europa League football. We're not even going to have this new Europa League conference or UEFA conference league. So there is no European football for twenty five years. So your your income is going to be you know you know as low as it as low as it could be i mean you're just going to have premier league money which is which is huge but no european money maybe those two factors do make you can consider an offer so the timing of it maybe that's you know that you have to strike while the iron's hot while they're so unpopular and while the team are at the lowest they've been in 25 years i mean that is that is the situation we're in here's my question though which i think like the interesting thing about the, the interesting thing about the Super League is that I think the effect that that um, that attempt to create it has had on the on the on the on the on the British on the English clubs I'm talking about has been so interesting because they're all in slightly different situations. And what fascinates me is honestly, like I think the problem with our owners is that they are American billionaires who are completely absent and and with Josh Grunke comes to see the games and he did do, we should talk in, in a bit about, yeah, he did come to the, um, he met, didn't he, with Arsenal representatives, the Arsenal Supporters Trust last week, we'll talk about that in a bit. But that was one of the rare, rare times he's ever actually spoken to Arsenal fans and had that, you know, there's a very, it's very, very rarely that there's actual communication between the owners and the fans of Arsenal right now. And that's been going on for years now, going back to Arsene Wenger period. So there's that, the lack of communication and fan representation, there's also the fact that they're billionaires, multi-billionaires, but they don't invest in the team. So they, which is pretty un- unique, because we're in this self-sustaining model. Because the, you know, the Americans who own Liverpool, they have invested in the team. You know, I mean, I don't even know what, I, I be, you know, I need to have a long conversation with Liverpool fans about how, you know, they, I'm sure they must have been quite happy with their owners until fairly recently, until basically now, because they did invest in the team. They got the, one of the best managers in the world and they ended up winning the league for the first time in decades. And it's all gone quite well for them. And then you've got Man United, who everyone, they, Man United fans seem to hate their owners, the Glazers, more American billionaires, but for also, for quite specific reasons, they've declined, you know, in recent years, but they did, they were there at the end of the Alex Ferguson era. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of, so my question is, this is a long-winded way of getting to my point, which I'm about to ask you, Alex, what you think of this, which is that actually this Daniel Eck guy coming in now, I think the reason why Arsenal fans are excited, he's another billionaire, an American billionaire, but the assumption is he's going to be a better billionaire owner than the Cronkies. He's getting these classic, these um, legendary players involved because he will care more about the fans and to communicate more to fans and invest more money. And in the end, isn't that just what fans care about? I think your point there also about Manchester United, and this is something I feel is like, you can accept losing sometimes. Well, actually, you can accept losing all the time, I, I believe, when you've seen that someone's given it the rule. And whether you're an owner that's invested heavily and it hasn't gone well, it hasn't gone the right direction, well, at least you're trying. You know, it's then it's then when you're so happy with it being how it is, 
just because you're making such such a big number on the bottom line and you're just going to let it do what it does. That's what hurts the most. It's the it's the being stagnant and doing nothing about it that just sort of flies in the face of everyone. It's for me, I would as long as someone's doing something that you're just trying, even if it's the wrong direction, then you can't uh, knock someone for, for being like that. Um, so, yeah, I think a new new tack, a new lease of life in, in ownership would would just put a spring in everyone's step and just try and uh, try and revitalize something. Yeah, stagnation is a good word for it, isn't it, Josh? Because that is that is the problem with our owners that we have stagnated under them for so long now, not going anywhere. I mean, we're now going. We now, as you say, we're now having the worst league, league, league time in the league for years and years and years. Yeah. But there's no sense they know what they're doing to revitalise the club, and none of the decisions they make seem to be anywhere near coming close to refreshing revitalising, which is why the idea of a new owner seems very exciting. And then, then you go back to, like, you know, I'm sure Tim Pay- Payton of Arsenal Supporters Trust that we have on regularly will point out, well, that's just short-termism. What we really need to do is the German model of the 51% fan representation and fan ownership. I don't know. It's it's interesting, isn't it? Because Josh Cronkey did, did did come to that, did come, did talk to the fans and talked absolute bullshit, but he did. Go on. No, he, he did. And you have to give a bit, a bit of praise, I guess, because if your argument has been there is no communication between owner and supporter, then going on that call where it's all getting live transcribed basically on, on Twitter, you know, shows a, a little bit of front in what, you know, was a, a difficult week for everyone, right? No one came out looking, you know, remotely positive um, from it. Um, stagnation is a good word, not as good a word as podiums, but it's nevertheless <laughs> a great word for this for this podcast. And that is how we are. Although you'd get a lot of people who would suggest that worse than stagnating, we are we're actually going backwards because we we are we are slipping. You know, if you look at the last five six years, you know, we were frustrated, weren't we, Boyd, with the latter years of, of Wenger of of just just only qualifying for the Champions League, only to get beaten by Bayern Munich in the round of sixteen every year or Barcelona, and yet now. That is basically what what we would be absolutely dreaming of achieving for when we set out this season. It would, you know, fourth was the absolute ceiling. So we are we're miles away um, from it. I mean, what do you want from your billionaire owner? I think does it does it matter, or do you just want success on the pitch? Like if Arsenal right now were top of the league, would there have been three thousand protesters? Would there have been the same? No. It no, wouldn't quite have been, would it? I no. think there would have been some, and I think that I'm not undermining some, yeah. yeah. Um, but it is, you know, I think it's just a, a marriage, isn't it? Of of the unhappy. It's, we don't like our billionaire owner compared yeah. to Man City's billionaire owners. Um, so, look, I, I hope that we get a new a new owner because I, I don't see how this ownership can possibly restore the faith of the of the current fan base it just seems so far away to the you know I, it's like i said before i don't know what they could do so you know it'd be fantastic and if there are ex-players involved that's positive but it's not the whole solution um and there has to really be looking forward some kind of fan representation in the running of the club and that's what's missing there there, there is none of do you that. think do you think Man City fans, right? And another, I'm still on the same point slightly, but Man City fans who've ne- who've who've had their owners have access to untold. I mean, literally, they are some of the richest people in the world, and they have access to untold winnings. And we saw them beat Spurs yesterday and win their fourth you know, league cup. They could do the treble this season, you know. And I mean, what have they got to worry about? And and you wonder why the hell they got involved in the Super League. I mean, God knows what they were thinking. I think they just thought, oh, they didn't want to be left out of this new thing that probably will happen, but. You know, the only it strikes me that Man City fans are absolutely delighted with their owners, aren't they? Generally, even though actually, if you look at the morality of the situation, I mean, let's not even go there. But okay. it's so, I'll tell you so, why. Go on. <laughs> well, one, you have to put it into the context of like the percentage of Man City's entire history of trophies that yeah. has come in the last 10 years is I saw it on Twitter earlier. I mean, it's, it's it's obviously something very, very significant. And also their owners and you can question the morality and you can question the reasons behind, uh, you know, why their ownership is in place. The regeneration they have done in that part of Manchester um, is phenomenal. I mean, even Gary Neville referenced it, I think, during, mm, yeah. during that rant. Um, 
the the amount of properties the academy facilities are now extraordinary like if you go into man city age 10 you're basically guaranteed private the most incredible private education until you're 18 regardless of if you're kicked out when you're 11 everything about that club has been done with like a sense of of class even though you know, it's it's all funded. You know, very very unashamedly from from Abu Dhabi, um, and it was Man City who who brought the whole thing down on um, you know uh, earlier you know last week. It was they were the first ones to apparently yeah. circulate that they were pulling out, and and everything uh, came from them. So because maybe Arsenal's success, you know, existed. Arsenal won titles and trophies well before this current ownership. Um, whereas maybe Man City are kind of Man City now because of these owners and they're viewed in a slightly different way, I feel. I think to answer your your question, Boyd, as well, is like what what is it that you want from your billionaire owner no matter what club it is? And I think it's it it's actually you want them to help build a culture within your team of success and what that investment brings is the possibility to to build something, which is exactly what Manchester City have done with, whether it's a world-class manager, world-class players, but also the ethos that's clearly been brought in has changed the face of the club. Uh, and I think like, like in any, uh, I've been, I've been lucky enough to be involved with some really successful teams that have been well-funded and also very successful teams that have been very mediocre, mediocre um, funded but it's always the culture and the ethos that brings success. So I think when you've got a billionaire owner, if they're allowing the manager and all the other staff, the freedom to build something special and give them the reins, it's about allowing the people you've, you've, um, you've hired to have the freedom to, to build what they believe is, is the right culture. That, that for me is actually something that's, that's quite rare. It's yeah. really rare that they yeah. don't want to be like involved in the nitty gritty and every detail. That's a good point. I mean, from, from, you know, from what we've we've learned over the years, Sheikh Mansour owns Man City is basically in it to to um, to show himself and his state and his royal family in a good light. I mean, and so hence, I think all the investment in the local areas Josh was talking about and Gary Neville was referring to, all of they've done, which, which as you say, it's been so you know, it's almost like everything they've done has pleased the fans. It's because that's the whole point of why they bought the club is to show themselves in a good light, to do everything in their power, to say we are good people, you know, and we, this is what we're going to do and help your community and help your, make your football club the best in the world. And and, and who's, to, who's to kind of complain about that? Here's, I've got, we're kind of getting deep in it. We, should, we eventually will talk about the game on Friday that we grotesquely lost 1-0 due to the worst goalkeeping error in the history of mankind. But before that, I do want to quickly, I'm fascinated by this because I was listening to phone in, football phone-in over the weekend like 606 on Five Live, right? Um, where, by the way, um, what's his name? Chris um, Sutton. <laughs> Josh, you, I don't know if you know that. Just Chris Sutton did not know what the European Super League was hoping to do. He thought they were hoping to break away from the Premier League and he got it completely wrong. It was embarrassing. It was awful. Even though, actually, they wanted to stay in the Premier League and break away from the Champions League. That was unbelievable. Anyway, but they had, like, Man City callers kind of lording it over Spurs fans because it was the same day because, you know, they were playing Spurs in the, in the, Europa, in the um, League Cup final. But I was thinking, like, Man City fans, I mean, it's all very well, and we lord it over Spurs fans, but kind of we're kind of financially in a bit of a similar situation to Spurs. So that feels like... But Man City are not in the same situation as anyone else. Now, even Chelsea, like, they're unlimited, they're unlimited wealth, especially since financial fair play, they completely beat that whole um, accusation, didn't they? And they kind of survived that. So I, I, my, I wonder, I feel, if, they, if they'd have bought Arsenal, right, Sheikh Mansour, and if, and if, and if we'd have had that, and if we, they'd have invested billions in our team, and Pep Guardiola, I mean, we would have loved it, don't get me wrong, but isn't there a little bit of you, as a fan of a team like Man City, that feels it's a slightly kind of plastic success, do you know what I mean? A slightly kind of fake success that you're so far and away above what other teams can possibly do in terms of buying players and, and, the, and the billions you you're, you're have access to, that it slightly feels slightly unsatisfying? I don't know, as a sportsman, Alex, whether you, whether you feel that or would you just been quite happy with us being bought by the richest people in the world, and et cetera? I, I, th- I think, honestly, if it's done in... <laughs> You know, if it's exciting still, then it doesn't matter for me, you know, because yeah. you get to watch beautiful football when it's Manchester City and it's like yeah. you, you you may have bought it, but still, you know, 
Do I mind? No, because I've been entertained. And I have really been entertained watching that. Uh, and we and we'd win and you'd enjoy that. You'd have a great day out. And yeah, you know, I know I would unashamedly be be very happy. And in the end, success, you can have all the money in the world, but still, it still needs to be put into place. And you have mm. to say with, with Manchester City, they've taken such a step with just changing the manager, such a step that it hasn't just been that you've brought in the right person at the right time, but now the right components. And then suddenly it clicks. Suddenly you take a giant step in performance and, and that you, I, you have to respect that from a sporting sense of like, fine, you know, you've got it right there. And yes, the money has, has enabled that, but Hey, look, I enjoyed watching that. So I think unashamedly, yeah, I would, I would still, still enjoy that quite a lot. I think, I think that's absolutely honest. And I think to be fair, to, I, I'd probably be the same. I'm just hope you know, you, you, especially because, you know, actually they finished so many points behind Liverpool last year. So, I mean, it isn't a guarantee of success. Even, have, even having that access to those billions isn't a guarantee of success. Yeah. Well, there you go. And it, to be honest, you have to respect that. You know, they, you, you go away, you regroup and you fight back. And that, and that can't be bought either. That meant, yeah. you know, the mentality and stuff, that's, it, moments can't be bought. Yeah. And that's, and that's something that, that only the players and only the manager can give you. And, and that's what's special. Um, yeah, yeah. No, for me, that's, that's it. We should, Josh, we should talk about the game on Friday. We should talk about the current situation with Arteta. This is kind of the beginning of the most important two weeks in the, of the season, really. Well, you know, because um, we've got the Europa League semi-finals coming up. So we'll talk about all of that after this break. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. And we're back from the break. Um, I don't know if you saw, Alex, but on Friday when we lost to... uh, Everton, um, it was, I tweeted right after this game because I thought we were, me- we were kind of mediocre. Arsenal played, it, 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 we played in a similar way as we've played in, in, in various recent games in which we're kind of okay. We have enough chances, easily enough chances to win the game, which I think we did. Um, we don't score. We come very close. We infu- it's infuriating that we don't score. And then there's some like refereeing decisions that go against us. So we had a we had a, a dodgy penalty claim, right? But the referee gave the penalty um, for a kind of very slight tap. But the referee gave the penalty, which was then ruled out because of an unbelievable offside because of VAR. And I think that summed up why VAR is such a kind of putrid ad- addition to our football world. I'll ask you about that in a second. And and then in the end, our goalkeeper just let in one of the made one of the most bewildering mistakes I've ever seen a goalkeeper make. It was like he almost like kicked it into his own net. It was unbelievable. And I tweeted after all that saying, I real sorry for Arteta. I think he's had the worst luck of any Arsenal manager I can remember. I, by rough calculation, I think we've lost five or six games this season due to individual, terrible individual errors that he cannot be responsible. And people say he picks the players, but there's not that much. There aren't that many alternative players he can pick. Right at the moment, you know, oh, people are saying drop Leno. You know, no one was saying drop Leno, were they, before the game on Friday? You know, and everyone's quite happy, even with Xhaka playing in the left back, and he contributes to that goal as well. So what I'm saying is, I feel sorry for him, even though he, there are definitely issues about whether he's good enough to be our manager. We'll see, we'll find out. We'll see what happens in the Europa League. But after that game on Friday, I felt so. I thought it was bad luck, terrible refereeing, um, and just bizarrely oh, yeah. disappointing. Yes, Josh, I think you're being kind. I'll okay. be honest with you, which is which is a lovely trait um, to have. I mean, it's but, rare. Um, I, I think you've called it stagnation when I think we're we're going backwards. Sadly, 
And I, th- I think you're being you're being commented. There's a very fair, famous, you know, cliche that you know pundits trot out, don't you? That you know, eventually, the league table evens itself up, and the league table doesn't lie. And we're basically coming towards the end of a season, and we are on what 46 points from 33 games. And you can talk about individual errors, but like a, a, a huge proportion of football goals are individual errors. I mean, if there were no errors, there very rarely be goals. So I, I think you're, you're being kind. I mean, it was extraordinary Friday night. Occasionally you see a goal that you just don't see very often. You know, most goals, you, you sort of understand how they've happened. This was so unusual. It's a freak. It, it, it's one that would, I think it just comes from a lack of concentration. He had done nothing for 20, 30 minutes in the game. Shouldn't have got in that situation, but yeah, we're playing Granite Xhaka at left back, and eventually, you can look okay when you're three 0 up against Slavia Prague, and it's all going well, and you can do okay at Sheffield United away when they, you know, have got four at the time had fourteen points, but eventually, you put a proper player up against you like Richarlison, and he goes, "I know what to do here, and I'll skip past you," and you know, it, you can't get away endlessly with you know, put, putting players in the wrong position. But I, I think to sort of suggest that Arteta's been unlucky with with errors is 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 generous to the league position we find ourselves in. But two um, things could be can be regretted at the same time, can't they, Alex? It can be true that that I mean it's been an incredibly disappointing season in the league, absolutely. And we've lost far too many games. We've we've haven't scored nearly enough goals, particularly at home. It's embarrassing and terrible and surprising considering the strikes we've got. But equally, yeah. he can also be very unlucky. Do you know what I mean? I think both can be... Uh, so I'm not saying that our league position of ninth and we're sealed that ninth position. I mean, that, we're not going anywhere, are we? Um, but just but, before Alex answers, where do you think we should be then? Like if you're saying we've been unlucky... No, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying we should be higher or lower. I'm right. saying that is... A, I, I agree with that. But what I'm saying is he's also been incredibly unlucky. And I think that actually our mistakes, I'm not talking about the kind of individual error that leads to a goal. I'm talking about our players getting sent off and lunging in and having like a mental crisis in the middle of the pit, in the middle of a game and the goalkeeping error that though, I think we've had loads of those type of mad moments that I think we've had for me, we've had more of than is our fair share. And particularly Arteta having to deal with those is ridiculous and having to do it right now on, on Friday's game, Alex, he could, didn't have Aubameyang or Lacazette, our two main strikers. He picked Eddie Nketiah. Now, you know, you could argue against that, but he clearly, I think he's he's clearly holding, you know, Martinelli, for example, for Thursday's game, more important game. I don't think many people would have criticised the team selection before Friday, is what I'm saying, including Xhaka playing at left-back. And yet, we lost that game, and people are getting quite angry with Arteta and are quite kind of getting judging him quite a lot. Where do you stand on, the, on Arteta at the moment? I like him a lot. I think he says all the right things. All the right things. Uh, but there definitely needs to be a mentality shift because whether it was lucky or not, that's the result you bought. You know, that it's, it's your name on the result sheet. No one else's. So there has to be responsibility from the 11 players on the pitch and, and, and the manager. And that's, and everyone needs to wear it and be very honest and look at themselves in the mirror. Um, But I think for sure in general, there just needs to be a a mentality change that, that they're going to, do do something about it, but again, it, that's probably a more generalisation about Arsenal for, for the last few years. Um, and it's one thing that I I in personally are quite passionate about in 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 sport in general, but also like in in my own career, like always being involved in a team that is we're all accountable uh, and we all take responsibility for the result um, and and work with each other no blame culture and always yeah always stand behind your teammates or team members and that's then that's what i don't see and that's and that's what i really want to see from from the arsenal team that i i support and that and that for me is is what needs to change and i think arteta can do that i think he has got that in him because he comes from the the pep guardiola school who i believe buys into that wholeheartedly into that ethos so I don't know what goes on behind the scenes that it's maybe not translating into the way he wants it to, but I think he does know how to do it. Um, but I think there's something else going on that's not allowing him to put that ethos into place. In, in my opinion, I don't know what you, if you guys think that as well. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, you, I would say 
we, we've still got too many players who aren't. Still got too many players who are, are, are prone to just lose concentration at any given time. We've got too many players who I think I, it's interesting. I think Friday's game. I think there's two things. There's a reactive response to Friday's game, which I when when I tweeted, I felt sorry for him, and I had loads of people going, "Oh, you know, he doesn't know what he's doing. He's a training manager. We shouldn't have given the Arsenal job to uh, uh, his very very first manager." Despite everything you say, of course he training under Pep and all of that, but it's still his first actual job as a manager, making decisions like substitutions, you know, man management, um, all of that. And there are, I think there are signs of naivety when it comes to those kind of, those kinds of things in his management style that we've seen so far. He's a brilliant communicator, you know, that, that's for sure. But I think we're starting to see some flaws, I think. And I, I mean, I, I'm not saying, I'm saying, I kind of agree with you. I, I'm saying stick with him at the moment, right? But, I do wonder, Josh, whether um, it's getting to the point, because I was surprised by the negative reaction I had to my tweet on Friday when I said he, he, he has bad luck. I think that, I think people are getting a bit pissed off with him, quite a lot pissed off with him, because of that disappointing league, league performance. And I think if we if we go out of the Europa League, put it that way, you know, in, in if we have a bad result on Thursday and then we don't get we don't go through the following Thursday. I think his job is under severe um, pressure. And I also think the Cronkies, the owners, might think, oh, getting rid of this unpopular manager now is the thing to do, to get the fans back on our side. Yeah, what do you, what do you think? Are they, are they planning to put Thierry in, do you think? If it all goes wrong, try and win the fans back. I wouldn't be putting... surprised. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. Do you think he'd do it? Would he be the most unanimously popular decision? But even then, I think there'd be question marks because well, he's another manager. so brilliantly at Monaco. and Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's not a manager who's shown much promise as a manager. Obviously, legend as he is. Um, I mean, I think I'd rather have to see them if they. I think they should be talking right now to you know some very experienced European manager who's who's got a track record of doing really really well. You know, there's probably a couple of those around. That they could, you know, they could call up Allegri tomorrow or something. You know, as a kind you- of backup. You know, looking um, at the Spurs job, I mean, it was uh, Mauricio yeah. Sarri was at the top of the uh, the betting odds for who's going to get that job. And that that's not the sort of exciting appointment that I think Spurs or, or Arsenal fans would want. But I think you could be right on your wider point. Arsenal finishing anywhere between 9th and 11th, or 8th and 11th now, you know, we're in that little area of the table and not qualifying for Europe and not winning anything has to put you under pressure. You know, if, if what you, you, you've heard what Arteta wanted to achieve at the beginning of the season, uh, what the club want to achieve, he will be a long way off it and, and therefore you're under pressure. But my, my gut is he'll get to certainly start next season because I think there'll always be this question mark about how different clubs could deal with the COVID situation and it's not a completely normal season and everyone's been impacted and affected. So I would expect him to, to start next season, even if we do lose to Villarreal. Well, but what, the question is, Alex, what would you want? If, if Arsenal go out of the Europa League and we finish somewhere between 8th and 11th, what, yeah. what, would you still back the manager? You still think we should stick with him? There's only one manager I would actively go and, go and get, personally. Uh, and it, let's say to go, I think he would come in and start doing a really good job pretty quickly. And I think that would only be Brendan Rogers, in my opinion. I don't know why I just get that feeling. I, I really like him. Um, but apart from that, uh, and I think he's quite forward thinking, you know, really quite modern in the mm. way like he, I, I hear that he, he trains his teams. So I, li- I kind of like that. But apart from that, I would I would stick with it and, and and back him because to be honest, for me this between eighth and eleventh, there's no difference. So you may as well stick it out for another another period and see what happens. But I think, yeah, from my from my opinion, there's no difference. If it's if it's not the top four, then it's well again, yeah. obviously it's Europa League. But Inter- interesting what you said about about Brendan Rodgers though. Because so, but are you then saying because if if Arsenal did remember when Spurs got rid of Pochettino, they and they had they lined up Mourinho. They had it was almost the next day, wasn't it? I think they announced it. So clearly, you know, that was a, clearly an absolute a plan of their of their the people who run that club. If our I mean, I can't see it happening by the way, but if our owners actually will look at the situation right now and go, look, our season could be over calamitously in two weeks' time or in 10 days' time, let's talk to some 
possible successes. Let's talk to Brendan Rogers. Let's sound him out, right? Would you? So then you'd kind of be in favour of that. I mean, like, there's Nagelsmann, you know, who's been been connected with Spurs. So I think if Nagelsmann go to Spurs, I'd be worried that Spurs would do really well, and I'd be like, well, we should try to get Nagelsmann. Um, and I and, I'm, and I don't disagree with you about Rogers. I think Rogers will do a really good job at Arsenal. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think I find it hard because, like, honestly, as a sportsman, too, even like it's it's one of those it's one of those horrible things because, like, obviously, even in, even in my job and stuff, you get talked about being replaced and like, who's going to replace you and it gets spoken about. So I, I some I you know the feeling, you know what it feels like to be under pressure, um, and it won't be easy. But I do when when I hear him speak, it's hard because I know that he knows what he's talking about, and I feel I feel like he has what it takes and I don't know why it's not coming across as well as it could and maybe it is experience from his side not being able to handle him but I do look at the players and I, I think that there's there's a lot of talent in yeah. the squad I look at the two strikers they got and they are seriously world class and seriously talented and I just struggle to see how how it's not clicking um, so I, like I said a minute ago like I don't know what is going on behind the scenes but I think there is that it's just not coming across something is blocking the 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 pathway of of getting getting this ethos into place um there are there are they all know what to do there are sorry there sorry just there are some um i've read one explanation which i think holds some water and i think makes some sense is that he's quite he's very prescriptive do you know what i mean so he's very like so he his his training sessions and his and you can see in the way he is during games when he's on the sideline he, he tells them exactly what to do some in, in a lot of games, second by second, minute by minute, he's literally going. You stand there, you stand there, and so one of the theories is is that he's so meticulous about the way we should play football that actually it stifles our attacking, and the attacking becomes very predictable. And every opposition manager can see exactly how to deal with it because the 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 moves that we make to progress the ball up to the pitch and to try and get shots into then try and score goals is so clear and obvious and there's, there's very little room for improvisation and actually when I watched I did watch the, the, the European League final Josh you were there at Wembley weren't you we should mention that um, not supporting other team obviously we're supporting Man City against Spurs but when you watch Man City play they are those players improvise a lot more than our players do. and obviously they're, 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 their squad costs you know way more than ours but you, you, I wonder whether the likes of Aubameyang Lacazette and now you know are, are, are given enough head room to 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 kind of do what they need to do and not follow this specific path that it's just it's just a theory that artists has given them that's the one theory that makes some kind of sense to me it's because it is bewildering and you're right we've got really great attacking talent what happened what's happened to Aubameyang forgetting that his recent illness etc which has obviously been awful but he's had he's had a poor season by his standards anyway and all of the you know all of these great attacking players we've got the fact that he hasn't managed to put them together and create nearly as many goals as we should have scored is, is bewildering. What was yeah. it like in the game yesterday, Josh, anyway, at Wembley? Well, it, it, was, it was really interesting to be at the game and um, a huge novelty to go to football after 13 months. Hadn't been to anything since March last year. Was it West Ham? I think we had West Ham at home, one of our final games in, yeah. in March last year. Well, what was interesting was that um, all the players speaking after the game, and I think it's genuine, and even, you know, the, the broadcasters that, that were there, it felt more like an event, um, it, you know, and it felt like a, uh, um, you know, a small step on the, on the road to, you know, re- recovery. And, and I realised, and from talking, we, we were doing a bit of work yesterday with the EFL, and, you know, obviously Michael was there with Sky. So you really see the amount of work that goes in to you know the planning to get eight thousand people in the, in the stadium and everyone is showing their test results on a on a phone. We were all sat at at least a seat away from the from the the person next to us. But it was um, it was glorious, and I was so nervous that my first game back was going to be Spurs winning. And at eighty minutes, when they hung on and it was nil nil, I was like, "Oh my god, please don't let it happen." So I did leap up and celebrate, and I I was sat. Um, with about with Daniel Levy within five meters, six wow. meters maximum to my left, and there was a, a glorious punch. I, I did celebrate as if I was sort of a City fan, and then looked at Daniel Levy, who of course was uh, was not was not too happy. Um, but it was uh, it was yeah great. Felt very lucky to uh, to be there. Hopefully, I mean, 
you know, I think I think it's um, it, it's going to become apparent in the next couple of days that all supporters are going to get the opportunity potentially to go to one home game and one away game. So I think we obviously know that the final game of the season at the moment has all been um, set aside, that there are going to be fans. And my understanding is that now there are going to be a set of fixtures on um, the Tuesday and the Wednesday prior so that every team will have one home game and one away game. So, you know, for us as Arsenal fans, that means hopefully a trip to... Um, who have we got on the final day? I've had a momentary lapse, Boyd, but I know that your um, calendar um, is never far away. Brighton and Hove Albion. Brighton and Hove Albion, who presumably yeah. will be will be safe as well. So, yeah, um, really enjoyed it, was the, the long-winded answer. I wanted to ask Alex, I mean, obviously you, you're a hugely talented uh, sportsman and driver. Who, who do you think in the Arsenal squad, if you had to, if you were, if you were unable to get in your car for the, the race in Monaco and you had to appoint one of the Arsenal players to go in your place, which, which player do you think would do the best job? Like what, what are we looking for here from attributes that would make them a potentially good driver, do you think? I think in Formula E in particular, I have to say it's quite rough and ready. Uh, we race on these, obviously, city circuits, so it's quite um, quite tight and twisty. So whenever you have to make an overtake, it's always very robust, and it's very rare that you don't make contact with another car when you, when you go for the overtake because, obviously, naturally the car in front wants to defend and you want to attack. So therefore contact gets made. So I would probably say Kieran Tierney or Granite Jacker. Yeah. One of the two. I'd back Tierney. Yeah. Tierney. Let's, let's, (laughs) I'd back Tierney. How have we missed Tierney? Oh my God. I mean, if ever there was a reminder of that on Friday. Yeah. I mean, that has been, I reckon he's also, you probably, you need to be be a bit, I'm imagining a bit fearless, like to go at the speed. Yeah. And I just sense that (laughs) he'd just get on with it. it. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't, I mean like William, I mean, imagine William, William would have, would, would put down into a couple of gears lower, let the everyone else go. He'd be happy (laughs) to just chill at the back. I feel. No, I think Tierney would send it. He'd get fully stuck in. Yeah. We need to do some kind of collaboration at the end of the your season, the end of your driving season, and get Kieran Tierney to, to come have a lesson with you. That would be a good collaboration. Josh, actually, anyone... we, should, we should try and get the London thing sorted because hopefully yeah. we'd have some fans there by then. That's in July. Yeah. yeah. Josh, if anyone can sort that out, it's you. I mean, this, this is your skill well, set here. I'm not sure. So, you yeah, got, make it you got Keir Starmer on the podcast last week, boy. <laughs> you can do. I mean, unless you're getting Boris, but he doesn't like football. So uh, as Keir, let's was get to remind. Forget us. Boris. Forget Boris. Let's get Boris Johnson. I can't call him Boris. Let's get Keir Starmer, Kieran Tierney, and Alex. All is it de- just all the, people called Keir yeah. or Kieran? Is, yeah, basically, is that what you're looking for. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, um, uh, uh, Alex is racing in London. Yeah, and that was sort of all that. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking mm. forward to it. Anyway, uh, we need to what we need yeah. to do, enough of this frivolity, we need to predict. Alex, the only thing that separates there's dozens of Arsenal podcasts out there, I say this every week. The only thing that separates us from all of them is we like to predict what we think the results will be of every game. And mm-hmm. on Thursday it's Villarreal away in the Europe League, the most important game of the season. What do you think is gonna happen? Well, I mean, I think no fan can predict a loss so uh, I mean I, I'm not I'm not going to do that I'm going to say 1-0 one, one to Arsenal I mean I, I, yeah because I, I'm one of those people that just always has to back the people I support no matter what it is 24-7 and yeah that's it Okay. and also I mean uh, Alex is on the ground in Spain to get all the inside information oh, yeah. presumably on the, it's wet and cold it's wet and cold here honestly so it's going to okay. suit an English team and it'll be gritty Yeah. yeah. we're going to put in a performance Excellent. Valeria lost to Barcelona at the weekend, of course, Josh. I don't know if you won. They did. One did they have home. a man, man sent off? Is that right? Yeah. So, you know, they're crumbling like we are. Um, yeah. I mean, they've, they've, yeah, they've, they're on the edge as well of European qualification in the league, seventh in La Liga. So, in a sort of potentially similar, curious situation that it kind of could be all or nothing in terms of you know, no European football or, or winning a Champions League. Uh, and, and also we have to, of course, mention it's a return uh, of Arsenal uh, with Unai Emery. Arsenal who, legend Unai Emery. Who has an extraordinary record in this uh, in this competition and mm-hmm. um, shouldn't be underestimated. Uh, Arsenal have been very good on the road, though, in the in Europe. And um, I, I, I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm just... 
so unsure because we've been so surprised pleasantly by the odd performance in the last couple of months and mainly disappointed at the at the rest of the time. So I don't know. I feel like a one all draw and it will be in the balance and we'll we'll see what we can do with home of the Emirates. What do you think, Boyd? I think um I think we'll lose two one, but it's still in the balance. We'll yep. get the away goal, which is obviously the cliched key thing to and I think at the moment, I'm thinking we we may well sort of progress in the if I, in the second leg and sort it out, just because I can't I can't quite conceive of what misery is away if we don't. Um, so yeah, I think I think we'll lose on Thursday, but I don't think necessarily that that mean we'll lose the tie. We'll see. We'll still we'll still be in it. I don't think we're going to be calamitously beaten. Put it that way. I mean, if we are, then I pray I pray for Arteta because I think the fans will get furious. And then we should we should also predict. Um, I think we play Newcastle, aren't we, on Sunday? Um, Newcastle yeah, yeah, have weirdly, a... weirdly come good um, in yes. recent weeks. Sorted their terrible season out, kind of. Um, like Joe Willock won't be able to come on and score for them as he has done a few times. I think they're they're pretty much over the line. They're nine nine points clear of um, of the relegation zone with five games to play. I mean, I'd be surprised if Fulham even even got nine points from the last five games so I think I think they probably are safe I mean this feels like a you know it's a bit sad that basically we're two teams with very little to realistically play for with, with still five games uh left uh but Newcastle have been I mean I, they were good against Liverpool I know they will have only scored in the 95th minute but they, they well deserved well deserved their goals so um I, I think Arsenal will will have successive draws I think uh uh but again it, it just it would all it's all just gearing towards you know Thursday week at the Emirates and that is what our season is, is going to depend on isn't it I think it's going to be nil-nil against Newcastle Alex yeah I, I could see that one being pretty close like you said two teams with nothing to play for and it's all about the European tie so 1-1 one, one. One, one. it's interesting actually because um, I do think like without the crowds the the games teams playing who don't have, don't have that much to play for. I mean, you saw it a bit with that. I mean, we do have something to play for, but you still saw it against Everton. But watching the games this weekend, the games where they have been a bit mid table, they've been really awful and like horrendous. And and the teams that you know you think just the fans there might have got them going a little bit without the fans and without very lot to play for, they have been some terrible terrible performances. And that could well happen in that Newcastle game. I think with us, it could be absolutely diabolical. Anyway, Alex, it's been a joy to have you on. Um, and we should say you can, people can follow you on Alex Lynn Racing on Instagram. Yeah, is that your main kind of social media activity on Twitter as well? It is. No, I'd say in, I mean I sort of neglected my Twitter for a few years now, so I'd say Instagram is definitely my yeah. my go-to these days. And that was right, it's Alex Lynn Racing. Um, thank you so much. And um, and wait until when's your next race? Next weekend in Monaco. Uh, I'm pretty sure that one's on BBC Two. Actually, live on BBC Two. Yeah. On, uh, on Saturday, around, I'm not sure of the race, I think it's around 1pm, 2pm um, UK time. And it's the first time we're going to be on the full Formula One circuit. Usually at Monaco, we did a smaller version, but this time it's the full big one. Um, first time in Formula E history. Um, and I can promise that if anybody wants to tune in, it is always very unpredictable. And it's very crazy. Um like 20 times more overtaking than watching a Formula One race. And it's, yeah, usually ends up in some kind of pile up. So, oh, exciting. Okay. Well, I hope you're all yeah, right. It is exciting. Stay, it is safe. Exciting, to be Stay safe. Yeah. I mean, but we've all got something compare- to someone to root for now. We've all got an Arsenal fan to root for, Josh. We, we absolutely do. And compared to the build up we just gave Newcastle Arsenal, this sounds tremendously more exciting. So, yeah. uh, for those that can only commit a couple of hours, maybe we'll forgive people for choosing the, uh, the Grand Prix in, in Monaco as opposed to the, uh, Slightly dead rubber, you could call it, at uh, St. James's Park. Well, I think you can watch both because you're, you're, you, your your race is Saturday, right? Did you say, Alex? Yeah, it's yeah, Saturday. Newcastle Sunday, so it's fine. We've got a weekend. We've got a cool new copia of treats at the weekend. Thank yeah, you very much, Alex. Nice. Um, yeah, but cheers. Thanks, cheers, Josh, and we'll be back next week. This is a playback media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? 
Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.